0: Would you turn to Luke chapter uh, 1? We are in uh, Luke chapter 1. Luke is on the right-hand side of your Bibles. It is a gospel written by uh, Luke, who is a physician. He writes actually two uh, books of the New Testament. He writes Luke, and he also writes Acts. Both of those books are believed to be one. Um, We separate them just in the English side of things for multiple reasons, Uh, But Luke is very meticulous and detailed in his uh, understanding of who Jesus was, what Jesus came to do, and how Jesus is the Messiah. If you look at verse uh, verse 1, it says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who are from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me, spoken like a true physician, right? Seems like a good idea, uh, that we would provide an account, an orderly account. And the key word in that passage of scripture is orderly, because he really breaks down who Jesus is and what Jesus is all about. And he writes to a man named Theophilus these things, and it goes to Theophilus and then extends to us, Community Gospel Church, which is very important. And the reason for the gospel of Luke is in verse 4 so that you you may have certainty concerning the things that have been taught so that you may be certain you may be concrete in your understanding of Jesus And so that brings us, really, into the birth of John the Baptist, who would pave the road for Jesus to come. And then Jesus' birth is foretold, and then you get down into Mary and Elizabeth, and then you see Mary's song of praise that we just heard sung, which brings us to Mary in Luke chapter 26. And as we look at Mary, it's interesting, as we start to kind of unpack chapter 26 through 38, we would ask ourselves the question, what do you worship in the Advent season? As we're talking through this text this morning, I want you to ask yourself that question, what do I worship this season? I think all of us want to say Christ, right? All of us want to say, yeah, it's all about Jesus. But in reality, if we were looking look at the to-do list and the bank accounts, it might be something else. Somebody told me a long time ago that they can get a real good snapshot of where my priorities lie if they look at my bank account. And they used to say checkbook. Now I say your Amazon wish list, I think, is a better understanding. And as we approach this season and ask, what do we worship? The reason that we're starting with Mary is, what did Mary worship? Because oftentimes when you think of Christmas, you think about Jesus. And then you automatically think about Mary. And then when you think about Mary, you think she's to be worshiped and that can't be farther from the truth. Mary is a sinful human being. Can we establish that right now? She is just like us. In the fact that she is Romans chapter 3 verse 23 a sinner. She has fallen short of the glory of God. And for whatever reason, God looks at her and he holds her in high esteem. And I think the reason that God holds Mary in such high esteem is because she is constantly submissive in a God-honoring way. If we look at Mary, we realize that Mary is singled out by God to deliver a long-awaited Messiah to the world. But we get lost in the significance of her life and forget that she is submissive to God and she wants the Lord to work in and through her life because he is on the center of her throne. Now, Mary is a a woman who lives in a small, remote Galilean community. Everybody knows what's going on. Everybody understands what's happening and transpiring with Mary. She's pregnant and supposedly there's no father. That's interesting, right? It's this community where people are starting to talk and essentially she's having a hard time covering Jesus with the cloak that she wears. And so people are wondering what is going on with her and Joseph. Everybody probably would have known what is happening. So even in her explaining of the fact that the angel came and the Holy Spirit happens and all of these things, people are essentially confused. And what I love about Luke chapter 1, verse 38, and this can be our central verse for today as we start to unpack this first Advent week is Mary says, I am the Lord's servant. May everything that you have said about me come true. And that would be the whole prayer for this whole entire season as you start to really unpack that question what do I worship? Do I worship the Lord? Am I his servant? And do I believe everything that he has said about me and want it to come true? Her words ring true to us this Advent season. They remind us of the true significance of a surrendered life. And so we submit this earthly season to our fleshly, earthly desires, uh, to God's will, regardless of the cost. And in turn, What happens is Mary experiences what God has in store for her life, and so can we. So this Advent season, let's start at the birth of Christ through the lens of Mary. Verse 26. In Luke chapter 1, big uh, numbers are the chapters, smaller numbers are the verses. Verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. To a virgin who is betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was, all oh, God's people said, Mary. <clears throat> okay, so let's unpack Mary. Start at verse 26, and then we'll kind of walk our way through the text. Underline that word, six month. This is the length of time of Elizabeth, who is Mary's cousin, that she had been pregnant before the angel's visit to Mary. It is not in reference to the Jewish calendar months. Okay, In that time, God sends his angel, Gabriel, who is the same angel we know in the Old Testament text. In the Old Testament, Gabriel has already visited Daniel in Daniel chapter 8. And then in the New Testament, he's visited John the Baptist and now Mary. So he's famous. Gabriel has a favored position. He stands, Luke chapter 1, verse 19, if you want to look at that, in the presence of God, delivering important messages of God's particular love and favor to certain people who are chosen to be a part of his plan. And here, that happens in the city of Galilee named Nazareth. So it's a small little town that's completely off the grid. It's like Wyatt, Indiana. It's just totally off the grid. God chose a no-name town for Jesus' birthplace to reveal to the world that he is its Savior. He comes to this small town, not to the powerful, not to the elite, not to a nation who is great, but he comes to a small place to common men. Now, there's three truths that you find out about Mary in the text. Let's look at these. Number one, she is a virgin. We're not going to expound on this in great detail today at Community Gospel Church because it's kind of a no duh Okay, Mary had a normal human birth. Let's establish that. She had a normal human birth with Jesus, except one exception. She is a virgin. Now, what people think, though, is Mary stays a virgin. I don't know how that works. I don't know how you get that from there. But she is not a virgin permanently. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 25, it says, But he had no union with her, speaking of Joseph, until she gave birth to a son. So the word virgin indicates that Mary and Joseph did not have relations until after Jesus was born. Now, that is important for a couple of reasons. Number one, it means that Jesus is God, 100% God, but it also means Jesus is 100% man. We just talked about this in the 9 o'clock hour. Why does Jesus have to be 100% God and 100% man? God shows the awe and adoration that we have for God. If he was just God, he'd be too far above us. 100% man shows us that he can relate to us. If he was just man, you wouldn't listen to him because he'd be on your same level. So you can have an awe and adoration for who God is, but you can also realize that Jesus is like you in in regards to humanity. Mary remains a virgin until after Christ's birth, then her and Joseph... Have a lot of kids. <laughs> As a matter of fact, they have four boys, James, Joseph, Simeon, and Judas. Can you imagine being the brother of Christ? I just, that just makes my head hurt. And then he has half-sisters that are not named or numbered. Now, why is that important for us to understand? Well, if you understand the New Testament text, God blessed Mary with several children, which means in that culture, it was an indication of God's blessing on a woman. She's not just blessed because she has Christ, she would also be looked to be blessed because of her obedience and continual obedience to Christ. He is constantly blessing her life as she points back to Christ. See, it's interesting, when Mary is blessed with children, she doesn't look at it and say, oh yeah, it is what it is, right? I got another kid. She says, no, God is good. Every blessing that Mary receives, she gives credit back to the Lord floor. Do you do that? Because what happens is, it shows who she worships. It shows that Christ is on the center of the throne of her life. Now, go a little bit further, it says that she is betrothed. Betrothal is kind of an interesting concept. The first part of a Jewish marriage is betrothal. It is a legal relationship without mutual obligations. In Hebrew, betrothal is called uh, essentially uh, the kedushin, which is sanctification, and it's an engagement in the intention to marriage. So engagement is that we're intending to marry. So if you are going to become engaged to somebody, you give them a ring, and you say, I have the intention of marrying her. But betrothal is a promise to future marriage. It's like you're making a vow before a vow. Well, why does that matter? Well, the exact duration of the betrothal varies among culture to culture and couples to couples. But for adults, it can be anywhere from several hours or incorporated into the wedding day itself to a period of several years. A year and a day are common today. But what we're getting here is the fact that she is betrothed Mary as she does things right. She's not avoiding anything in regards to the way her life is structured. She's making sure that she is going about it in the proper way. Number three, she's from the house of David. Now nowhere are we told in the Bible except here that Mary is out of the house of David as both genealogies recorded in the Gospels are genealogies of Joseph. (laughs) Mary is also of the house of David, which makes it, and this is going to be hard to wrap your mind around, it's probable that Mary and Joseph are first cousins once removed. The key here is that both were of the house or lineage of David. And before you start to kind of like understand that in like a weird way, What we get here is that David's family was in a low condition. A lowly carpenter and a poor virgin are both residing in a despicable place as Nazareth in Galilee. So you have poor people in a poor place and the Messiah comes there. Now notice verse 27. It says that the virgin's name was Mary. The Bible says Mary was an ordinary human who God chose to use in an extraordinary way. Mary's name, if you want to circle that, means much grace or unmerited favor. Yes, Mary's a righteous woman favored or graced by God, but at the same time, Mary is a sinful human being who needs a Messiah just like you and I. She is not to be worshipped. She points us to who is to be worshipped. Mary may have been full of grace, but she also needed grace, just like you and I. And so this comes from Christ. Let's talk about Christ. Let's start at verse 28. And he came to her, here's the angel talking to her, and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. I still think when people talk to angels in the Bible, it would just be Amazing. I can't wait to see what this is actually like. 29. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and she tried to discern what type of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, uh, Mary, don't be afraid, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb, and you'll bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great. He will be called the, most, uh, he'll be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over that house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary looks back at him and she says, how can that be? I'm a virgin. 35. The angel answers, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, excuse me, um, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you and therefore the child to be born, he'll be called holy, set apart, sanctified. He's the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, she's conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren, for nothing is impossible with God. And then look at 38. And Mary said, Behold, I'm the Lord's servant. Let it happen. Let it be to me according to your word. And then, whoosh, the angel leaves. I always wondered, did he go out the door? Look at what it says about Jesus. Jesus. Gabriel, in verse 28, describes Mary to be favored. It's the same word that is used in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6. It speaks of God's grace, how believers are accepted by God through faith in Christ. Regardless of God's favor, Mary is still greatly troubled. Highlight that. He said the same thing to Gabriel. It's, or excuse me, it's the same thing. Like, like attitude as Gabriel had um, from, or excuse me, as Zechariah had from Gabriel in Luke chapter 1, verse 12. But Gabriel predicted three truths about Jesus. And if you want to circle that word Jesus, it's really interesting because here in the text we see that that name means Jehovah God is our help and Jehovah God is our salvation. Help and salvation are going to come to you. Here's the implications 32. Number one, he will be great. John the Baptist was described in the exact same way in Luke chapter 1, verse 15. He will be great in the sight of the Lord, but the greatness of John pales in comparison to Jesus' greatness. Spurgeon says it like this. He says it's not proven that he is great. Like We've already seen that from generation to generation. Generation conquerors are great. He's the greatest of them. Deliverers are great. He's the greatest of them. Liberators are great. He's the greatest of them. Saviors are great. But he is the greatest of them. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, it says, In Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. Jesus, as the word of God, John chapter 1, verse 1, means that Jesus is the fullest possible revelation from God to man. So what's the implications? The implication is, That Jesus is greater than you and he's greater than me. You have to allow Christ to take precedence over all things. That's exactly what Mary is doing here. She's allowing the Lord to take precedence. And here's my big problem of where we're at right now. We're so passive with this. Even right now, preaching to you, we are so passive with this because we want three truths that just get me to the next day. We want three things. This is something that changes our mindset and mentality, that Jesus is greater than me. He is greater than my problems. He is greater than my struggles. I have to allow Christ to take precedence over all things of my life. The reason that you're not a conqueror in Jesus Christ is because he does not have power precedence in your life the reason you still struggle with things is because you do not let christ take precedence in your life the reason you struggle with sin is because jesus is not great in your life i was thinking to myself i was like this is just common stuff but it's not it has to take precedence it has to sink from my head knowledge into my heart and transform my heart so i speak out of my mouth and my actions follow suit Paul knew it, Romans chapter 8, verse 37. He says, I'm more than conquerors in Christ because he takes precedence in my life. He is great. Mary knows it. He is great. He is the greatest. He is above all things. Look what it says in 32, also in verse 76. He will be the son of the Most High and he'll be given David's throne. Jesus being called the son of the Most High means that Jesus is equal to Yahweh. Now, if you're a Jew reading this, like you're kind of floored because it just says that Jesus is the living God. Most high is a way to refer to God without naming him. It avoids a direct reference to God, which is common in the first century in regards to Judaism, out of reverence for a divine name. Jesus being the most high descendant of David means he sits on David's throne when he reigns in the millennium. It's a pivotal moment here. It shows how people must respond to Christ to determine their destiny. Now, in Judaism, or semantic thought, a son is a carbon copy of their father. The phrase son of was often used to reference one who possessed their father's quality. How many of you guys say you're just like your dad? But this is like a carbon copy of that. Simeon said to Mary in Luke chapter 2, if you want to jump ahead, in verse 34, he says, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel. Some people will accept him and will make him great, and some people will eliminate him. Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 24, Unless you believe that I am he, that's the word, the Most High, You are dead in your sins. There is salvation from no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. So what does that mean? If Jesus is great, that's one thing, but he's also higher than I am. He's higher than Mary was. He's to be highly valued. We call this adoration. It is the awe, the adoration, of what is happening and transpiring. Adoration leads to imitation and imitation leads to growth and sanctification. I told Bethany the other day, I said, one of the hardest parts of seeing our kids grow up is they lose the wonder of things, right? Christmas was so cool like five years ago. It was awesome. You could do anything you wanted and I I could plug in Christmas lights and they'd be like, whoa, do it again, right? Right? Matter of fact, I remember one Christmas, we were driving down the road, and uh, my kids didn't realize that the other side of the street with the street signs, you could tell if this was going to change. So I would always change the street signs by pointing at it, or the stoplight by pointing at it. They'd be like, how would you do that? Like, I'm magical. And so they were in adoration, right? And when we get to be adults, like, our adoration just diminishes. My prayer the other day was that that I would be in, in such adoration that God has given us 66 books of the Bible. He entrusted it to my care. But how many times do I just shelf this thing? I just put it up on the shelf and I'm like, yep, it's Christmas time again. Adoration leads us straight to, intimid- or to imitation, excuse me. And imitation leads us to growth. We're often not growing because we fail to adore Christ is the most high in all things. Oftentimes we don't grow in our relationship with Christ because we do not adore him. We have lost the adoration. We've sung about it. Come let us adore him. This Christ is born. All right, third thing, verse 33. He will reign forever in a kingdom that will never end. Jesus' reign over Israel as king begins in the millennium. It continues into an eternal state. If you want to look at the word house of Jacob, it's just another way of saying Jesus as Messiah will rule forever. It points to the Messiah's eternal relationship to people, which really, this is talking about Revelation, which is a whole other sermon for another day. All of these promises, if you were Mary, as she sits there and hears He said, she realizes that they're the same promises that were made to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Now David understood there was two kind of meanings to exactly what was transpiring in verse 33. And one is that it would go to his son, which is Solomon, and he would build the temple, but the future promise was to the son who'd rule forever. So What we're seeing here is David said God spoke of a distant future, and Mary would have understood that Gabriel was speaking of a promised Messiah. So here's what Mary understands. Jesus, as the Messiah, is going to be greater than I am. He is going to be higher, deserving of more adoration. And then ready for this? He has more control than I have. He has all the control. There's something greater here. There's something higher here. And there's someone who is in more control than I am. Now, notice in verse 34 Mary doesn't seem surprised that Jesus, the Messiah, who is come, she's not surprised about the Messiah. She's more surprised that she'd be his mother. Since she's a virgin, she says literally, I don't know a man. That concept is so inconceivable to her. It's like contradictory terms. It's like a married bachelor or a circle square. It just doesn't make sense in her mind. But we remember what Jesus says in Luke chapter 18. What is impossible with man is possible with God. So as we look at Mary and start to unpack Advent of what it really is, what we're seeing transpire here is that we praise the Lord, that he works with us, and that he would come to us. This is my biggest concern with us as Americans, is that we've just become so complacent with Christmas. My kids love Christmas movies. We watch a Christmas movie every year that talks about true believers. And every time they talk about true believers, they ask each other, they're like, are you a true believer? Are you a true believer? And I thought to myself, where are the true believers in Christmas? The real meaning of Christmas. Like Mary's a true believer because she realizes that God has come to her. She's got to accept Jesus just like we do. Now notice Gabriel in verse 35 to 38, he doesn't rebuke Mary like he did with Zechariah in verse 20. But in grace, he gives details on how this divine event would be accomplished. And then watch this, Mary surrenders to it. Mary's not to be worshipped. She's to be modeled after because she's really one of the first one that surrenders to Christ. She looks at him and she says, behold, I am the Lord's servant. Now notice what she is accepting here. She's accepting pain. She's accepting punishment. She's accepting criticism. She's accepting condemnation. She's accepting all those things from the worldly standpoint. But for her, she looks at it and she says, no, the Lord will do great things here. Let it be so. These are words of faith that she says because of the grace that she has received from God, who is greater, who is higher, and that is in more control. She willingly submits to God's plan. She calls herself the Lord's servant, and she finds herself blessed. Paul would say it to the Ephesian church almost identically in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8-10, through 10, where he says, for by grace you have been saved by the same faith. This is not your own doing. It's nothing Mary did. It was all what God did. It was a gift of God, not a result of works, so that you would boast about it. Mary never boasts that she's the mother of Jesus. And moms who always give me your birth story, she's one that could do it, right? She trumps your birth story. I hate to tell you that. Like, we're gonna get to heaven. You guys are gonna be like, oh, I had this kid. Mary's gonna be like, let me tell you what I did. She never once boasts and who she is, she always boasts in what God has done. Because she realizes that she's his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's exactly what she's doing here. She's just walking in him because she worships him. Mary's life is very simple. It's very plain. She does tasks that others her age that are not out of the ordinary. However, there are these many treasures of grace found in Mary's attitude and obedience. I'm constantly pulled back to Mary's model to follow. She's submissive and works and lets God work in her life. She holds the adoration of her God. In verse 27, or excuse me, in the very last verse, when she says in verse 38, her beautiful answer there contains all that God requires. Pure, simple submission of a soul to his. And we learn there the secret of her spiritual maturity. She abandons herself to God's will in that present moment, receives God's grace, and then does what God asked of her. It's not flashy, it's just consistent. If we're believers in Jesus Christ, let me ask you just a couple of questions. Number one, do you abandon yourself to God's will in the present moment? Whatever God's asking you to do. Do you receive the grace that he gives you realizing that you can't do it on your own and then do what he says? That's what James says. What is God asking you to do? It might be something crazy. Thanksgiving reminds me of how we're called to confront family. Amen? Like why is family so hard to confront? I don't get it we were at Thanksgiving and I just started like seeing like all these things and I'm going, Lord, anybody but me to talk to my family, I don't need to talk to them. Somebody else will say it and then nobody else said it. And he's like, you want to open your mouth now? I'm like, I don't. It might be something crazy like confronting a family member. It might be something crazy like who knows uh, what God is calling you to do. Maybe, Maybe he's not calling you to have Christmas at all and give all your gifts to somebody else. I don't know. I don't know. I know that God loves the crazy. But here's here's what I think God loves more than crazy things. I think he loves the boring, mundane, consistent things. What is God calling you to do that might be something ordinary? Maybe it's just an act of obedience that you continually kick against. Maybe it's to be patient in your present suffering. I know that so many of you have lost loved ones this past year, and we have too. But maybe God's just asking us to rest in that and realize that he's in control. Maybe it's you're, you're finding yourself here and you're like, I don't even have this grace. I need to accept God's grace through faith. Those of us who are fully surrendered to him, do we respond to the Lord? And this is where I constantly go back to. To respond to the Lord like Mary, let it be to me according to your word. An old saying says, may we learn the blessed secret of delighting in God's will. Welcoming whatever present he sends us, joy or sorrow, good or ill. Mary knows to know God's will is a treasure, but to do God's will is a privilege. Let's pray for that today. Heavenly Father, we find ourselves in week one of of celebrating Advent. And again, God, I would just ask that you forgive our complacency with this season. And might as well. And I just ask that you would forgive us of, of the places that we populate where we, we look at all these things and, and they start to really cloud our mind. As Americans, we're weird. We have cookies to make and presents to buy and services to attend and all of these things. We just flood our schedule, Lord, and we forget of just realizing that you want us to just pause and reflect and come adore you as Christ the Lord, who came and who is coming again. And I believe, Lord, with all of my heart, that you are calling us to do something. That you're, you're calling us maybe to respond to this message by accepting Christ as Savior and Lord. Maybe you're here this morning and you're saying to yourself, I don't have a relationship with God through faith and trust in Christ. Then for you, today is the day of salvation to receive the greatest gift that you could ever receive. A relationship with the living God through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. And you're thinking to yourself, well, it doesn't make sense. It's it's not going to make sense. You don't have to have it all figured out to come to Christ. That's the beauty of grace. For so many of us, we know you, Lord, as Savior. And we have taken you off the throne of our life and we've paused this season. And so I just ask that you would help us to come. Let us adore you. Something greater, something higher, something that has more control. So we relinquish control of our lives to you this season. We worship you. We ask that you would help us to worship you in spirit and in truth. Help us to know that your will is a treasure, And to do your will is a privilege. So may we proclaim the excellencies of you, God, who have called us out of darkness into glorious light in the various places that we populate. Help us to see the importance of modeling well what it means to be submissive to you. It's in your name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church Podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, Simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.